0: There are a thousand, thousand reasons to live this life, every one of them sufficient. Marilyn Robinson, Gilead It was December 31st, 6.45 a.m. My roommate was still fast asleep, the covers pulled just over her head, rising and falling to the rhythm of her deep breaths. I sat in my bed with a warm cup of tea, candlelit, utterly happy. I've always loved the stillness before the world is awake when there's silence enough to hear the murmurs of your own hopes and desires more clearly. That morning, I had a purpose, to prepare for the new year. As I sipped my tea, I perused the past year in my mind like I was flipping through a picture book, treasuring all the good things, the happy memories I had made, moments of growth. There had been difficulties, yes, but they seemed so outweighed by the goodness. As my mug radiated heat through my fingertips, my heart warmed with gratitude. I felt a deep, palpable peace. From this stillness, a message came to my heart. This year will be hard. You will suffer. The people you love will suffer. Prepare yourself. I paused and opened my eyes. That's probably the general anxiety disorder speaking, I thought. I am accustomed to persistent sense of impending doom and to intrusive images of all the things that could go wrong, from broken plates to missent emails to crushed limbs to global nuclear catastrophe, all in a day's dread. I read an article recently that found that a large proportion of adults diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and OCD in America are Scotch-Irish heritage. Perhaps it was a centuries of rain pelting sardonic gloom into our genetic code, or a history of familial conflict with our self-righteous brother, England. Whatever the reason, the Clarksons have not bucked the trend. My dad's side came from Edinburgh, and my mom's from Belfast. If God had wanted to make us serene, God could have made us Finnish. Finland has repeatedly won the most happy country in the world award. I have often prepared a small speech in my mind for my future spouse about the highly likelihood of our children inheriting mental illness. Dear, I'm bringing great hair, bad knees, and clinical depression to the table. But would Yeats, Haney, and Hopkins have written such beautiful poetry if they hadn't been so sad? Despite very little sign of a blossoming career in poetry, I comfort myself with these thoughts. So my first inclination was to call the doom and gloom voice in my head an intrusive thought, have a bite of something with protein in it, do some breathing exercises, and carry on reveling in the nearly perfect morning. Slightly agitated, I closed my eyes, attempting to reclaim tranquility. But the message came again, as clear as if my roommate had emerged from her cocoon of slumber and dictated the message herself. This year will be hard. You will suffer. The people you love will suffer. Prepare yourself. It was like I'd paused a song, which now resumed at a slightly louder volume. I shook my head again, hoping the thought might trickle out my left ear like a tablespoon of presumptuous pool water from the college gym, but... With one last burst of urgency, I felt it to be undeniably true. This year would be hard. I would suffer. I needed to be prepared. This time I listened. I knew in my gut that this was not the voice of fear or anxiety. It was not angry. I was not being punished. It was the voice of my mom calling me to let me know there's traffic ahead and to leave a little early. It was the voice of a friend tipping me off to the high expectations of a difficult professor. It was the voice of a doctor, about to draw blood, two seconds before the needle went in. Hello everybody, and welcome back to Speaking with Joy. And on that rather um, ominous note, a very happy new year to all of you. I'm very excited to be sitting down um, with a cup of coffee, looking out on a gray January day, um, because I'm excited to be starting back Speaking with Joy. I had four glorious episodes in December, which uh, were intended to be at least two more before the Christmas season came, but along with the Christmas season came uh, quite an intense bout of illness for me. I am recovered, but it was a busy few weeks, and I was laid rather flat with some mysterious illness, um, the origin of which you could probably guess. Um, But... I am recovered, the year has begun, and I am excited to dive back into Speaking with Joy. And today I'm especially excited because I'm going to share with you my plot, um, our plan, for the next 10 weeks of episodes, which all have to do with a particular theme, a theme which you may not have uh, experienced or may not have deduced from the opening bit of this podcast today. And that theme is happiness. Uh, What I was reading to you at the opening of this podcast is the introduction to my new book, Aggressively Happy, A Realist Guide to Believing in the Goodness of Life. And it is a story from my own life uh, several years ago. And by several years ago, I mean almost a decade ago. It's beginning to be very distressing to me that, um, that my college years were a decade ago, I don't feel old enough for that to be true, but it seems like it is. And as I was reading it, um, I was thinking about the fact that you never quite know when you write a book, when you write anything, that eventually other people read. You kind of don't know what world you'll be sending it into, what what the world will be like. And when I when I wrote this, um, it was I'm describing an event almost ten years ago, um, but I wrote it three years ago but as i was reading it this morning i thought to myself gosh that could have been i could have written that at the opening of 2020 you know um, this sense that we never know what we're getting in for with life um and and that um that that sense of preparation uh which i will read you more about in a little bit that sense of being prepared for suffering and difficulty is something that could have been that I, i could have received as a as a message um two years ago, as we were all entering into this wild couple of years of exhaustion and um, almost farcical strangeness and sadness and loss and many disappointments piled on top of each other, um, this, this preparation, this message that I heard, uh, could have been one that we could have experienced on the very edge of 2020, kind of diving into the last few years. But I was also thinking that in a sense, I think for me, the experience the last few years has given me is that that message of um, this year will be hard, you will suffer, the people you love will suffer, Um, prepare yourself, is actually a message more generally that uh, life itself sends at us. And I know this may sound um, ominous, but I think it's true. I think the last few years have given us this sense of the fragility the unpredictability, um, and sometimes the, the recurrent, uh, disappointment that life can offer us. And I think now actually more than ever, you know, as we stand at the cusp of 2022, we have kind of this question of what do we do with that? What do we do with the message that life will be hard, that we will suffer, the people we love will suffer? Now this is where uh, this book comes in. Something that I have tried to do over the last few years has been to create havens of beauty, of kindness, of goodness, of truth, of loveliness. Um, you know, in hosting this podcast, I, I liked to articulate it as an hour of sanity and beauty and goodness and truth. The sense that there was something you come to and enjoy once a week that would Fill your soul, um, challenge your mind, and make you brave, and and that's something that I I've tried to cultivate both personally for myself, but also in a public way. You know, I've done that on podcasts, I've done that on social media, um, and it's something that I've done for myself. Um, it's funny too because I think with a name like Joy, even when I'm just existing in the world, not doing anything in particular, um, that uh, I kind of represent to people something. I represent happiness, a joy. And I talk about that in the book uh, because my full name uh, has kind of an interesting contradictory meaning. Um, But what's interesting about that is that it kind of, when you bring the idea of cultivating beauty and happiness and joy in this world into conversation with this knowledge that we all have, perhaps in a more visceral way uh, this year, um, uh, that life is hard, that we will suffer, that there will be many difficult things. This kind of creates uh, a question or, or a contradiction. And that's, does it matter to cultivate happiness? Um, is happiness, is this, is this cultivation of moments of beauty? Is it a denial of suffering and of pain and of difficulty? Is it a, um, is it a kind of indifference towards injustice in the world? I was just listening to a BBC podcast. I enjoy listening to their um, In Our Times. And I was listening to one on a group of scholars called the Frankfurt School. And they were responding to the great injustices they saw in Germany um, and and kind of the horrors of Nazi Germany. And And they said one of the things they were talking about was that this kind of school of thought thinks that if you're happy, you are just going along to get along. You are allowing yourself to go with the tide of injustice and oppression that exists in the world. And that if you were truly honest, you would always be unhappy. And it's funny because while I have had such a joy and a delight in in, in hosting this podcast and in writing and in tweeting, um, I get kind of a mixture of responses that I was reminded of as I was listening to that podcast. One is people, you know, that um, I've been delighted to kind of encounter and hopefully cultivate a community of people who also want to cultivate beauty and joy and goodness and and intellectual curiosity and depth. And we've gotten to, I've, gotten, I've made so many kind of internet friends, so many kindred spirits, um, people who also care about this, who feel a need for it, whether that's through Twitter or, th- or through Patreon. I've encountered so many people who say, yes, I also want to cultivate these spaces, and it's a relief, and it's exciting, and I love that. But then there's also people who um, feel a little bit uh, suspicious of it, maybe, or, or concerned. They feel like, is it okay to celebrate good things when the world is falling apart? Uh, is it okay to find happiness when I know that sometimes other people are not happy? Is it okay for me to, um, to sometimes not be totally addicted to my newsfeed and seeing every terrible thing that happens? And then I have had a group of antagonists. Um, and, you know, I don't want to exaggerate them. They're not that large, although they do, they do exist and they do send me emails and they do occasionally dogpile me on Twitter, who think that in some way celebrating goodness and beauty and joy um, is it's either morally wrong or it's stupid, right? So they think either you're ignorant because you just haven't seen how terrible the world is or um, you are ignoring the pain of others. And so there's this kind of this question of um, does it matter to cultivate beauty? Does it matter to cultivate happiness? If you know that this message that you receive is true, that life will be hard, that you will suffer, Um, the people you love will suffer, and you need to prepare yourself, what good is it to cultivate happiness, to focus on beauty, to fill your soul with good and true and beautiful things? And that is really the question of this book, the book that I'm releasing in three weeks, Aggressively Happy, A realist Guide to Believing in the Goodness of Life. And the core of this book is really in That subtitle, The Realist Guide to Believing in the Goodness of Life. I'm going to give you three reasons I believe that it's worth it to cultivate um, a posture of hope and happiness towards the world. Um, And then I'm going to tell you about the next 10 weeks of podcast episodes. And then I'm going to finish reading the story that I started reading you. So, the three reasons I think it is worth um, cultivating happiness. Um, I'll begin with the first. One is that you might as well. Um, <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of my favorite poems uh, is by Wendell Berry, who is a grumpy um, farmer essayist poet and um, revolutionary in his own way. Although I guess that's really the wrong word for him because in some ways he's anti-revolutionary. Um, but he has this wonderful poem called The Manifesto, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front. And in it, he has a little excerpt that I I put at the beginning of the book, where he says, rejoice, though you have considered all the facts. And one of the reasons I think it's worth it to cultivate a posture of joy in the world is that if life is going to be hard, and you know that, um, you can either just kind of resign yourself to life being bad, um, or you can say, okay, well, I know life is going to be hard, but... I'm going to enjoy the good bits as much as I can and find ways to take joy and find ways to uh, cultivate happiness. And sometimes out of defiance, out of spite against the difficulty of life, you might as well find happiness if you're going to admit the fact that life's going to be difficult. So that's reason number one. Reason number two is that it will bless other people in your life if um, if you cultivate a posture of happiness. Um, I want you to know something. I write this in the introduction to my book, but you affect the people around you. Whether that is your husband, your wife, your kids, your roommate, your flatmate, your co workers, who you are, the attitude that you bring into the world, the um, gift of yourself has an impact on other people. And if you're concerned about making the world a kinder, easier, more just place, one of the most practical things you can do um, is to be a person who who brings light and delight into the world. So actually, cultivating happiness isn't just an act of, you know, kind of, well, we might as well be happy. It's also a way to bless other people. It's a way to help the world be less noxious, less... Um, less cynical, less dark. Um, So taking ownership over that is a matter of caring for and loving other people. But, and this is the core of what I believe and what I want to explore for the next three weeks, not three weeks, the next 10 weeks. The reason I think that we should cultivate a heart of happiness towards the world is that I think that at the core of life is goodness. I think that sometimes we're afraid to be happy because Happiness is a posture of vulnerability. It's openness. It's flinging your arms open to the world. And when you do that, it's easy to get sucker punched. And I think we have this fear that if we really threw our arms open to the world, we're open to it, that we would find actually that at the depths of it, if we looked, peered down in the well, that what was there was either nothingness or despair or chaos. And I truly believe one of the great convictions of my life is that at the core of reality is goodness, happiness, joy. And that the reason we feel such grief, such anger, such injustice, is because we know that at the core of reality is goodness. And I think that the more that we drink from that well, the more we're able to be people who can see what is right from what is wrong, who can know what the world should be like. But I believe that at the core of reality is goodness, and that's what I mean by the realist guide to the goodness, uh, believing in the goodness of life. For me, cultivating joy and focusing on beauty has not been something easy. Um, I think if you read the book, you'll discover, both from this opening section and otherwise, that actually I'm quite melancholic, um, and I, I don't say that to be special, but we all have our, our places we, re- we return to, and, and um, my go to place is is a bit melancholic it's I both enjoy life thoroughly and deeply um, but I've always had a sense of 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 sadness of woundedness towards the world um, and so sometimes you know I I found it odd that people thought that the joy or whatever that I expressed was somewhat disingenuous because actually for me cultivating happiness was an act of Bravery, sometimes quite contrary to how I felt about life. Um, And what I found was that the deeper that I dug, the richer I found life to be. I think in that fear of happiness, of vulnerability, of throwing our arms open, we feel like the deeper we dig, the less that we'll find. But I think that even accepting all the difficulties of life, even hearing that we will suffer, that the people we love will suffer and life will be hard, that somewhere deep beneath the surface, there is um, beauty and goodness. And in this book, I, I am not an expert. I am young. I have much. I, I am not even yet wise. I might not be wise for 30 more years. It seems like people really aren't wise until they get well into their um, 60s. Um, but I have been living this aggressively happy life for a while. And I want to give tools to other people to think about what it looks like um, together to cultivate the capacity to rejoice, though we have considered all the facts, as my wonderful Wendell Berry likes to say. And so that's what the next 10 weeks will be about. So to pitch you, um, that's what we'll be looking at, is how do we um, grapple with the real disappointments, the real heaviness? Um, the real injustice of the world and yet cultivate a posture of joy um, that is healthful for ourselves that's healthful for other people and also that testifies to that goodness at the heart of reality so with that said i'm going to tell you what the next uh 10 weeks will be so i will be um i regret to say you all will will journey with me at least thematically through my book So um, the book itself is structured around kind of 10 verbs. Um, And well, actually, it's 11 verbs. Um, And the next uh, 10 weeks, I'll be going through those verbs. And each week, I will start by talking about kind of the theme of that week on my own, using, of course, literature and music and visual art to explore those themes. And then I'll have um, an interesting person come on and discuss that theme with me. So the next 10 weeks will be themed around these verbs, these commands, these rules for a happy life, for an aggressively happy life. Befriend sadness, flounder well, remember you have a body, enjoy things unironically, tell yourself a good story, be like Mr. Collins, believe in God, accept love, expect the end of the world. And give yourself away. So, those are our 10 upcoming weeks. Those will be the ideas that we'll be exploring. Um, To give you, I'll save some of the guests as a surprise, um, but to give you a sense of who will be uh, discussing these themes with me over the next few weeks, I'll have my lovely mother next week discussing what it looks like to befriend sadness, how we make room for grief in our lives, and how that's not actually um, a denial of joy but it makes room for it. Um, Flounder Well, I'm going to talk with an interesting Dante scholar about Dante's journey through through hell and what that can teach us about um, journeying through times in our lives when we don't know what's next. Um, I'll be talking with the inimitable K.J. Ramsey, who is a therapist um, and a beautiful Christian writer about... um, embodiment when we talk about remember you have a body I'll talk with Bose Harrington my wonderful friend uh, from the internet about enjoying things unironically I'll talk with Haley Carrots not Haley Carrots I was going to call her that Haley Stewart um, about Mr. Collins and what wisdom Jane Austen has to give us about um, living well and cultivating gratefulness and there's three other excellent guests for the last three ones, but I'm going to keep it a secret until I've actually recorded them so that I don't make any promises you won't hear, uh, that, that I won't fulfill, but they are very exciting. So I'm looking forward to sharing those with you as well. So that's what the next, uh, 10 weeks in the podcast will be. The exploration also of art that has to do with these themes. Um, and something that you should know is at the end of every chapter in my book, um, the publisher requested that I do discussion questions, but being me and having done this podcast, I thought, you know what would be way cooler than discussion questions? Works of art that people could go explore as they think about these themes in life. So each chapter ends with um, something to see, something to listen to, something to read. And um, and over, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I will be doing kind of a discussion group on these works of art on my Patreon as well. So that's what we'll be exploring for the next um 10 weeks together and for the next three weeks um i will be pretty invested in getting this book out to the world you know it's a funny thing being a writer because it takes a certain um hubris and uh, but then also that's coupled with a little bit of um you know self-consciousness uh that it's a strange thing to say will you read my book but i really care about this book um it is, it's come from my soul. I've poured myself into it. I wrote it in the depths of the lockdown last year. And it's just about all that I have to give on advice in life. I have other scholarly things, but this is from my heart. It's personal stories. It's engagement with literature and theology and scripture. And I really care about it. And I think it matters um, because I think that we are all standing at the cusp of a year, deciding how we're going to live our lives and what we're going to do. And and that it would be such a gift, I think, for all of us to cultivate um, hearts of of aggressive happiness. And I kind of I want this book to get out into the world, and I want it to be something of a movement. I want us to to together be people who are teaching each other how to befriend sadness, who are coming around each other and and bringing kindness and beauty and goodness. So on that note, I would love to invite you to help me to launch this book, help this book to make its way into the world. Um, And I will give you several ways that you can do that. The first is that it would mean a lot to me um, as a first time author and passionate about this book if you would pre-order Aggressively Happy. So I wanted to let you know that one of the best ways you could do this is uh, best for you, that is. Um, is by pre-ordering it from my uh, publisher's website Um, and uh, so that's Bethany House Publishers. They have a a bookstore and you can order it from there and the reason to pre-order it from them is that you will get 40% off of the book and free shipping which means that the book is around $10 for everyone in, in the states which is a very good price for a book I think. Um, but you can also pre-order it off of all the ordinary places like the Great Evil Bookstore Amazon um, or Barnes & Noble or wherever you like to find books. Um, also, something that would be great is request a copy for your library because your library will buy books uh, if you ask for it. So it would be very helpful to me if you asked your library to purchase a copy or two. Um, and and also I'll say. I'll be bold and say, order a couple of copies, Uh, get one for you and for a friend. Uh, I did make this as a book that I hope people will be able to enjoy together. So why not have a friend if you feel like you're kind of stuck in life and you're wanting to begin the year um, with something encouraging, that's what I hope it will be, and happy and light and inspiring, then get this book um, for yourself, but also for a friend. And do it together. So that's the first way you can help me launch the book into the world. The second way is that I am going to have a launch team. So a launch team, if you haven't been in the world of launching books, is kind of a core group of people who are excited about the book, who are keen to help get it out into the world. So um, you would join the launch team. It's kind of a community of people. You all get to bond together, get to know each other online. Um, and, I, uh, and, and you will share about the book, share passages you like, um post about it on launch day, leave reviews on Amazon and Goodreads, um, and, and then just kind of be a part of that community. Now the benefit to you of that is A, that it's a fun uh community of people who are excited about the same things and you kind of get to explore the book together. But also um, you will get early access to the book. So everyone who joins the launch team uh, will uh, get a access to a digital copy online so you can go ahead and start reading, which is fun. And um, but you'll also get other things like I'll put on graphics with quotes in the book, and there will be uh, special playlists, and I'm planning on doing a few kind of special interviews with friends about the book, um, and and so it's a fun community. You get access to some of some exclusive content, as they say, and also you get access to the book early. Um, now the way I'm going to do this, this is a little bit odd, um, but. Usually people host these on Facebook, but I realize that most, uh, I don't really use Facebook that much. I have a Facebook page, but I don't use it that much. And I think a lot of my listeners don't. And so I thought it would be easier rather than hosting it on a social media platform would be to host it through my Patreon, which is where most of my listeners who'd be excited about launching this anyway already are. Uh, Of course, the downside to Patreon is that that there's no way for me to make it uh, a free group. So what I've done is I've created a one dollar tier. So that means that if you join, you you have to pay one dollar for the month while you are a um, a launch group member. I would make it zero dollars, but I can't just because that's the way the platform works. Um, and but hopefully, I I think because you'll get kind of free content and stuff, I think it will be worth it and hopefully fun for you. Um, so I've made a one dollar tier which on my Patreon and. For those who don't know, my Patreon is kind of like the place where people who have enjoyed my podcast have supported it um, financially, and also where I've run reading groups and um, kind of do supplementary educational and community building from the podcast itself. So I've made a $1 tier, which you can join if you want to be in the launch group on Patreon. And um, uh, to get to that, just go to uh, patreon.com forward slash Joy Clarkson and join the $1 a month tier uh, for the launch team. Uh, the final, so then of course, uh, another thing you can do to help launch this book is to listen to the series of podcasts, to share them when you like them, uh, to leave ratings and reviews. Um, and, and and if there's ever any quotes you like, then share it on social media. That's very helpful to me. Um, but the final thing that I am going to do, obviously I'll be hosting these kind of themed podcasts, but I also love the teacherly side of me and the, um, the part of me that is a bookish nerd loves being able to discuss things with other people. So um, I will also be hosting a discussion group, an aggressively happy discussion group. That's probably like trigger words for an introvert, but the nice thing is, is that no one's actually going to Zoom or anything. It's all, it's all typed out, so you don't have to worry about being over extroverted, but I'll be having an aggressively happy discussion group on Patreon. And each week, um, I will be creating a podcast <clears throat> that explores the three works of art at the end of the book, at the end of the chapter, of each chapter that goes with each of those themes. And um, and I'll discuss that those works of art and the theme and kind of how it goes into it. And then on the Patreon, um, there will be show notes with resources and other things you can explore. And, uh, and I'll put discussion questions, and there you can chime in and discuss the book and the um, and the themes and the artwork from the book—not from the book, but you know, um, from the book—directing you other places with that community. So I would encourage you to join that. That's the same place that I've done the um, Church Mothers podcasts and and things like that. And it's always—I've run numerous book groups, book clubs now, and it's just one of my favorite things because it's really special to be able to not just kind of fill our souls, but then have a sense that there are kindred spirits from around the world who are also caring about these things and wanting to enrich their souls together. So I would highly encourage you to join that. It's a very fun group. Um, it's it's diverse. We have many uh, different people from different parts of the world who join in, um, people of faith, people not of faith, and to be able to discuss things that really matter um, together and to enjoy good art and beauty is fun. So if you would like to join that discussion group, um, that will be starting next week. So next Wednesday, and the way you would do that is to join the $10 tier on Patreon. Um, and if you want to join both the launch group and the, um, the discussion group, just join the $10 tier because the $10 tier will include the, the launch group. So you only need to do one, Um, and you don't need to add anything to it. Um, but I am excited about that. So on the public podcast, I will have two episodes a week. Um, one talking on my own, one talking with interesting people about the theme. And then if you want to join in on discussion and get more resources and intel and images and playlists, then join me on the aggressively happy discussion group. And most of all, um, go get the book and, um, and tell people about it if you like it. Um, the last thing I'll say is, sorry, this is a lot of kind of um, rambly uh, details, but is that the first 100 people to order pre-order the book? I know that a lot of you already have, so this still counts for you. And go fill out. I'm going to have a, a a Google Doc. Um, if you fill, if you go pre-order the book, copy and paste your confirmation code into that Google Doc. The first 100 of you will get access to the first introduction and the first chapter. Um, so go do that. But also, if you want to read, if you want to get access to the book, or like go join the launch group where you can get access to the whole book. So that is where we're beginning. Um, this week, I will... Um, this this Thursday, I'm going to post a an aggressively happy interview that's kind of non-thematic, um, except for the fact that my interviewee, Christopher Tin is an aggressively happy person. He is the first uh, composer to win a Grammy Award for for video game compositions. And um, it was a real joy to talk to him. So tune in on Thursday for that aggressively happy interview. So to end this podcast, um, I'm going to finish the story that I started reading you at the beginning. And if you like it, I would highly encourage you to go pre-order a copy of Aggressively Happy. Um, so without further ado, I'll read that, but let me just say I'm excited to be back and I look forward to an aggressively happy year together. I didn't tell anyone about my omen. I'm not really one for direct messages from God. I have from time to time wished to hear an audible voice from heaven announcing definitively that God exists or telling me who to marry or where to go to grad school. But alas, I am subject, like most other people, to the vagaries of prayer, belief, and faith. For me, prayer is usually more about clearing away the clamor of life and the urgency of my insecurities, so I can hear the steady, calm voice of wisdom humming beneath it all. That is why this experience was so strange. It had a conspiracy theorist street preacher vibe to it. I felt almost embarrassed, and when I didn't feel embarrassed, I felt annoyed. For 20-odd years, my call had gone to voicemail, and All at once, I got a message from an unlisted number with a foreboding voice at the other end telling me I was going to suffer. So, I told no one about it and went about my business, quietly waiting for the shoe to drop. And it did. It dishonors a sorrow to tell it to too many people, I think. And it was not entirely my own sorrow to tell, so I hope you'll excuse me if I don't share the particulars here. It is enough to say that it was crushing, that it went on and on, that there could be no happy ending. And yet, with the great grief of it clawing for my total attention, I somehow managed to graduate from college, get into Oxford and Yale for courses in religion and literature, and to turn them both down. I had tried and tried to talk myself into saying yes to one of the opportunities, but I could not. The more I prayed about it and sought that quiet voice, the more it evaded me. I could not be at peace about them, so I turned them down, half convinced it was what God wanted me to do, and half convinced I was insane for turning down the best opportunities I might ever have. More than anything, I was just bone tired. When I was honest with myself, I feared, as fragile as I was, that if I had gone on, I would have splintered, leaked, and failed. I see now that there was a wisdom in my hesitancy, but at the time... All I could feel was that I was stupid for turning down two dream opportunities. I felt that I was a coward or a fool or very possibly both. I moved home to work and save money and get my bearings. I was so exhausted from the disappointment and the sadness of it all that I was barely able to be pleasant. I began to feel that I was a drain to everyone around me. Not that there were many people around me because I was in that strange position of returning to a place where i had once been a very different person and feeling oddly disjointed by the people that I knew in high school. I avoided the friends that I did have, because they acted so awkwardly around me, either conspicuously avoiding any discussion of the sad thing while indicating its presence with a a dozen significant looks, or by trying to shore up the open-ended pain of it with well-meaning words. For the first time in my life, I thought a lot about dying. I didn't want to die, exactly. I just was tired of living, Tired of being in pain. Tired of feeling lost. Tired of being a drain to the people around me. So I threw myself into a handful of unglamorous jobs and tried to be okay. Henry David Thoreau aptly wrote that the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation, and I was quietly desperate. I grew to hate the silence of early mornings. With nothing to distract me, my sadness and my failures would visit me, I tried to avoid their gazes, but when there was no one else in the room, I couldn't help but acknowledge their persistent presence, their unflinching glares. The quiet mornings that were once a balm to my soul now felt like a poorly fitting shoe chafing a raw blister, opening an old wound again and again. One of my unglamorous jobs was working at a local coffee shop. I enjoyed the intense physicality of this job and felt the constant social interaction which helpfully distracted me and kept me from wallowing. One morning, I rolled out of bed at 5.30 a.m. To, to open the shop. The temperature had fallen below zero, and I shivered as I clumsily unlocked the door to my car. It groaned in indignation as I sat down and sputtered into life resentfully as I turned the keys. I plugged in my iPhone and put, on a, shuffle, put a playlist on shuffle, hoping some female folk music would wake me up gently. As I turned out of my neighborhood, I thought of that December morning almost a year before. Jealousy, yes, it was jealousy of my past self for having access to such uncomplicated happiness and peace, seized my chest. I felt like I had been a better person before, and sorrow had made something small and brittle of me. My own face seemed oddly unfamiliar as I caught sight of my care-weary eyes in the rearview mirror. Who was that? Could she ever be happy again? Feel lightness? As I crested a hill, a mountain vista greeted me, beckoning my eyes away from the rearview mirror. The silhouettes of the peaks loomed immense in the azure sky. A hint of pink, so faint it almost seemed like wishful thinking, peered over the mountains and breathed purple onto the horizon. I felt thankful for a moment that even if I was miserable, the world went on being beautiful. Suddenly, a final line of the chorus and the title of the song I was listening to caught my ears. You are here. Somehow something in me shifted. I had been trying to escape the blunt reality of what my life was, afraid some deep despair would set in if I stopped fighting. I was exhausting myself, wishing that life was other than what it was. And suddenly I realized I was here. It was no good wishing I was someone else somewhere else. And maybe that was okay. When I arrived at the coffee shop, I left my car running and watched as the sun cast its rays in the mountainside. The rose hues of morning were no longer bashful but bold, illuminating the mountain, splashing each cloud with technicolor confidence. Millions of particles of frost sparkled on the asphalt in the parking lot in a mundane glory. I listened to the song again. When something, a song or a sunrise, pierces you straight to the heart, it's hard to put it into words. Perhaps this is why the great prophets of old and holy texts always sound so frantic trying to explain their spiritual experiences. It was like a bird. It was on fire. The smoke filled the whole temple, which was also the universe. Sometimes moments of transcendent beauty can affect a transformation so complete that we're left bereft of words. We know something has changed, but how can we explain it without it sounding smaller and somehow less wonderful than it was? But I will try. Something in the alchemy of the sunrise and the gently triding lyrics behind began a new thing in me. It wasn't a life lesson or a piece of great advice. It was a realization, an epiphany. This is life, the beauty and the pain together. A glorious sunrise coexistent with deep emotional pain, the utter brokenness of the world. One doesn't make the other untrue. This is always the bargain. If you get one, you get the other. And in that realization, I was offered a choice. Can you say yes to this? To life as it is? Will you live this beautiful, painful life? That day I decided to live. I mean this in two ways. The first is that I stopped thinking about dying. I decided that whatever it came, it was my job to see this one strange and wonderful life through to the very end. Where I once cherished a jealousy of my idealized past self, I began to develop a healthy amount of FOMO, fear of missing out, on my future life. I began to think of all the sunrises I hadn't seen, all the huevos rancheras I hadn't eaten, the hands I hadn't held, the work I hadn't done. When I think back on it now, I feel an almost wild relief. I wish I could take my past self, hold her face in her hand in my hands, and tell her all the wonderful things we would have missed if I'd given up. The birth of my first niece, named for me, Lillian Joy. Moving to Scotland, falling in love with a good man, making some of the best friendships of my life, discovering the immense gratification of bread baking and Dutch ovens, getting to teach bright-eyed freshmen, and many, many sunsets. But it wasn't merely that I chose not to die. I chose to live. It is possible to choose not to die and still not live. I think that is where the quiet desperation comes from. A half-hearted acquiescence to exist which resents the whole ordeal of living too much to care about sunrises, huevos rancherises, or romance. It is the heart weary of breaking that chooses instead not to care. And if I'm honest, it is this kind of living that has proven the hardest for me. It is hard to live with skin in the game, to feel the cold. Accepting the full breadth of both the deep pleasure and the deep pain of life can seem like too much for a heart to bear. But that day, I acknowledged a hunger for something deeper. If I was going to be alive in the world, I wanted to drink deep of goodness. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes a list of blessed people. The Greek word here is which could also accurately be translated as happy or lucky and is usually used of people who should be envied for their good fortune wealth or status i've often heard people try to make some kind of distinction between happiness and joy but jesus makes no such distinction here it's just plain old happy lucky satisfied blessed these are the people jesus calls happy the poor in spirit those who mourn the meek Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, the insulted, and falsely accused. The blessed ones, the happy ones, are not people born to easy circumstances with a sunny disposition. They're not people who simply look on the bright side. They're hungry, thirsty, sad, and yet somehow blessed. The happiness they have persists beneath the weight of living, even blossoms defiantly out of it. "'It seemed to me that these happy and blessed people "'were the opposite of shallow, sheeny positivity. "'They've seen the heart of reality, and it is good. "'It is blessed, happy. "'Whatever they had, I wanted it. "'So when New Year's came around again that year, "'I began to reassess the message I'd heard so clearly. "'I began to think that perhaps it wasn't an omen or a premonition. "'It was simply true. "'It was the steady, calm voice of wisdom.' Life will be hard. You and the people you love will suffer. Be prepared. But now I realize there was another truth. There will also be sunrises.